What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. As you guys know, I'm Tyler, here recording in the Vivid Seat Studio, and with me on the other end of the line is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And Curtis is unfortunately only going to be able to join us for about half the show today. I know that's weird, but Monday was the start of Rosh Hashanah, and one of his law school professors is Jewish, so he rescheduled their class from Monday into the same time frame today that we normally record our game preview episodes. So again, I know this is not ideal, obviously, but we figured it would be better to have him on for at least some of the show than not have him on at all. But as for the show today, man, after the bye week, we are excited to be back to actually break down a real football game, even if it is one against a 1-3 and team in crisis, staring down yet another losing season. And if that does indeed end up being the case for this Tennessee football team, it will be their seventh losing season in the last 10 years. And more recently, this stat is crazy. They have lost 17 of their last 20 games against Power 5 opponents. That's insane. Just crazy stuff for a once proud program. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. The 90s weren't that long ago, right? Right? Nah, maybe I'm just getting old. But sucks for them. After the 90s, and especially after being in that erector set of a stadium, while they cheer Nick Chubb suffering a gruesome injury, I have got absolutely zero sympathy for that fan base. None. Nada. But Curtis, this is one of those weird spots. This is not a good football team. This Tennessee football team is not good. Do not get me wrong there. But they are coming off of a bye week. We are too. Have to put that in there. But when a desperate team goes into a bye week, they are liable to make a lot of changes that we might not see coming and might not be entirely prepared for, see things that we haven't seen before from them to this point in the year. It is on the road in a huge stadium that has the potential. I know – Things are toxic in Knoxville right now, but it does have the potential to be a tough environment if a few things go their way early. We are the massive favorite. There's no doubt there. But is there any way that this turns out like the, I don't know, Clemson-North Carolina game last week where a top three team goes on the road as a 20-plus point favorite but finds itself in a dogfight late in the fourth quarter? Or is Tennessee just too far gone for that to happen? Um, honestly, I mean, I don't think they're too far gone, but I think the difference is we're coming off a bye week, and I think we kind of have a bad taste in our mouth. Yes, we beat Notre Dame a top 10 team, but we haven't been getting any respect from said win, and, you know, we sh- like we've all kind of talked about the last two weeks, we should have run away with that game, and we didn't, and I think all the players have been hearing this, and the coaches, and probably everyone's been harping on it, so that's the thing. I think we're coming out in ourselves kind of hungry in our own right, because Without getting that respect, we have to go out there and prove every, everyone that, you know, I th- we pretty much just have to beat the heck out of teams, blow them out almost. And that's the thing. I think that while Tennessee's desperate, I think that we still have a bad taste in our mouth that we want to, you know, kind of take out on someone. I do agree with just about everything you said. Then you also have to throw in the fact that this is like, okay, Tennessee is not one of our top rivals, but it's still a rivalry game of sorts, right? Especially when it comes to recruiting, so you always want to try to embarrass them as much as you can while make yourself look as good as you can. Sure, absolutely. I mean, this is, I know Florida, it's not Florida, it's not Auburn, it's not Georgia Tech, but it's somewhere in that top five rivals. We have a ton of rivals. We're one of those teams. I mean, do we have more rivals than any team in America? I mean, it I, seems I, like. It seems like we do, whether it's, you know, some people, it depends on where you live in this day. It could be Florida, it could be Tech, it could be 
uh, Tennessee, Auburn, heck, even South Carolina for a little while there. I mean, I have I hate South Carolina for my own personal reasons. Uh, but yeah, we have a ton of rivals. But it is one of those rivalry games. So you like to think that we're not going to overlook it, even though they have not been good. Sitting at one and three right now on the year, you like to think we, that we don't overlook it. I mean, I think Clemson they don't see North Carolina as a traditional rival. Uh, they've been pretty bad, just like Tennessee has for years. And I don't think that they really took that game all that seriously. I, mean, I think they kind of bought into the the national conversation that, that Clemson's just not going to be challenged. I hope that we're not buying into that. Uh, but I will say, like, I have left that stadium after a loss too many times to ever feel, like, 100% entirely comfortable when we go there. And, I, and, I'm, and part of that's – and I admit this. I've talked about this before. I'm still in the process. I know it's three and a half years in, but I'm still in the process of kind of getting used to the Kirby Smart era you and I talk about this, Curtis, where like we don't play down to SEC East competition, right? I, I think yeah. I put out there earlier in the in the week was I think we've outscored our SEC opponents over the past two plus years, going back to 2017, 39 to 14 on average. So we're being our SEC East opponents by 25 points on average. So uh, I'm getting used to that. I still, I mean, for so many years with Mark, I was kind of conditioned to us, yeah, going into this situation and potentially playing down the competition, but. The fact of the matter is, the past couple of years, that has not been the case. And I, I will give Tennessee credit for this. They're not very good, but Kirby's right. I know he was he always the, <clears throat> has the coach talk up the competition, but this Tennessee team does play hard. They, they don't have an overly talented roster, and they have issues executing. There's no doubt there. But they do play hard, and they do have some really good talent in certain spots. It just doesn't shine through very often because they're – they have so many other deficiencies that kind of overshadow the, the little bit of talent they do have on this team. So look, I, I, I'm one of those people that hates to speak in absolutes. I hate saying that, Oh yeah, we're going to go out there and absolutely 1 million percent blow this team out. I'll say we should, I'll say there's absolutely no reason why we don't come away with a, with a huge win in this game. Uh, but we've seen crazy things happen. Saying no one thought that North Carolina was going to come close in that game. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sound the alarm here. I'm just saying like, it's not entirely impossible that this could be a dog fight in the game, but I would be, I, I would be borderline shocked if that was the case. And like you said earlier in the week, Kerr, like if that happens, we have problems, right? Yeah. We have some deep problems we got to fix. But uh, all right, let's get into the specific matchups. And this game started with the Tennessee passing game. If you guys are new to the show, what we like to do is we look at these uh, game previews from a matchup perspective. We go with like the Tennessee offense versus uh, Tennessee pass offense versus the Georgia pass defense. Because for us, that's what football games come down to. They come down to matchups. You can have more talent overall, but – does another team have a matchup advantage somewhere that they can exploit? So we, we like to look at it from that perspective. So let's look at this uh, Tennessee pass offense versus our passing defense. Uh, right now, Tennessee is 97th nationally in passing offense and 12th in the SEC with 205 yards passing per game. Jared Garantano forever was Guarantano. I don't know what happened. Some, at some point in the offseason, we've seen this at time. Like Remember Quincy Mauger, right? It was – Quincy Mauger forever until his final season. Then it's Mauger all of a sudden. Uh, I guess it always was. He just didn't want to tell anybody. So it's Garantano apparently, and I'm trying to get used to that. But anyway, Garantano, uh, his QBR right now is 46.2. That is 11th among SEC starting quarterbacks. Obviously not very good because there are 14 SEC starting quarterbacks, if you weren't aware of that. Uh, and uh, looking at Garantano's numbers, they're actually getting worse every game. I know they lost to Georgia State, but he threw for 311 yards in that first game of the year. But he has not cracked 176 yards since that game. His completion percentage has dropped steadily each game from game one to now. Started at 65%. Then the next game is down to 60% against BYU. Or I'm sorry, against uh, 
it was at Chattanooga game three, 52.5%. And then against Florida, right at 50%. So he is regressing each and every week. But, Kurt, I will say, especially early in the season, when you have a small sample size to work with, stats can be misleading at times. Is Tennessee really as bad as the numbers suggest they are through the air? Um, honestly, if you've watched them, you believe it because you look at them and they just don't look like they're on the same page. No one looks like they're on the same page. Um, and I think that's the one, the one of the biggest things I noticed is they have some playmakers and things like that. And uh, Garantano can do it, but they just don't look like they're connecting at all. Like there's some miscommunication somewhere along from top to bottom. I agree. I actually, like, I think like when I watch them play, and I've we've had two weeks to get ready for this game, so I've actually gone back and watched every one of their games again. I've watched all their games already previously, except for the Chattanooga game. Went back and watched them all again, and when I watch them on tape, honestly, I think they look worse watching them not in person but on tape than what the statistics even say. Like I think I'm like, I look at this, the stats, I'm like, wow, they're even that good. Like I thought they were actually worse than that. I mean, Guarantano knows only 11 in the SEC. And a QBR, but I I figured he'd be lower than that because he just that first game he was decent, he was okay. But after that, I mean, against BYU, it was a disaster. Against Florida, I don't I mean, good God, man. I I mean, his receivers didn't always help him out. I'll say that, but he was just missing guys, man. And he, like for me, like he's a tough guy to watch. I mean, I I hate Tennessee, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. I I, I do not like this team at all, this program at all. But in some ways, I kind of feel bad for the dude because he's just gotten beat up badly, make murder. His offensive line has got this guy killed for two years in a row. He's just getting, I mean, he's getting brutalized back there. And you see that he wants to do well. He's trying to do things the right way. Here he's a hard worker and a decent guy, but man, it's just not working out for him. So what is the issue with this passing game? Curse? they, like we talked about, like they, and we're not talking more about them in a second here. They have good receivers. We'll get to that in a second. But what is the issue that's keeping them from having more success through the air? To me, I think it's just a disconnect between the quarterbacks and receivers. I don't know if it's the route running, the plays being called, but they just can't get – like, they honestly just – it does not look like there's any smoothness. I mean, even on Garantano's part, he doesn't look like he knows where he wants to go with the ball. He looks like a deer in the headlights out there. Uh, That's I, the one thing I'm really noticing. It's not – nothing about it is smooth. Yeah, and this guy is, I mean, at least about a two, two-and-a-half-year starter for them, if not more than that. So, and I think what I want to say with Warren right now is that he's damaged goods. Um, I don't know if he's going to come back from where he's kind of fallen to this year. Uh, and I'm not going to say I'm rooting for him because I'm not really. It's Tennessee. But, man, like it's been, it's been tough to watch. I think he is a head case. That's been my conclusion of the past couple of years. Yes, he's gotten beaten up. Yes, he's gotten brutalized. Maybe you could call him shell shock. Maybe it's PTSD, a, a college football version of that. I don't want to trivialize PTSD at all because I know that's a, a serious uh, issue to deal with but I mean this guy ha- has taken the beating and I also when you watch him when he makes a bad play he doesn't shake it off like if he makes a bad play early in the game it like haunts him the rest of the game and he can't recover from it it's like he just can't move beyond it and you know quarterbacks you know it's the cliche but they have to have short memories right yeah Garantano does not have a short memory he remembers everything that happens and like eats at him see I mean I don't want to get too like psychological here but it, it, when you watch him play you get that feeling he makes a mistake and he just cannot recover from it like in the florida game um he made a mistake early in that game there's an interception it really wasn't his fault there's interception that bounced off the receiver's hands there's juan jinx who's actually the most trustworthy receiver and it ends up getting picked 
Um, and he, he never recovered from that. That wasn't really his fault. Then he made some mistakes after that that were his fault. And, and then he just and then it just kind of snowballed on him from there. They take him out and then try to put him back in the game. And it's like, oh my God, you can't do that to this guy because he is a head case. And you put, like, if you're going to take him out, you just got to go with the backup because you cannot. You simply cannot put this guy back in because he's he's going to be a shell of his former self. He goes in the shell and he can't recover from it. So I think that's a big problem. And I think the offensive line as well, right? They, oh, the offensive line is just – Yeah, and we're going to talk more about them in detail here in a second. But they they just – to put it shortly, can they just consistently protect him. you got two true freshmen out there that have been kind of moving around in different spots. But a lot of times you got two true freshmen out there at the same time. And I know they were highly recruited, but they are not getting the job done consistently right now. The offensive line for the second straight year is just getting him absolutely beaten down. We talked about that. Uh, so I think a combination of those two things is really what's holding up this passing game. Um, but I mentioned uh, in the Florida game, Guarantano was benched for much of the second half. And uh, they, the balls gave true freshman Brian Maurer a chance to show what he can do. Now, in the, in the press conferences leading up to this game, Jeremy Pruitt has been very coy on who the starter is going to be, what the quarterback situation is going to be. When he was asked about it, he essentially said, I'm not going to give Georgia a game plan on what we're going to do. I'm not going to help him out, which makes sense. I, I get that. So, Kurt, what do you expect the quarterback situation to look like on Saturday? Um, I'm, I'm expecting him to go with Garantano. Um, I think the biggest thing is uh, between the two, he probably still gives him the best chance to win if he could play up to his potential. And um, I just expect the coaches really to try to get him a lot of short passes and kind of get him some confidence that he has not had lately. Yeah, honestly, even if they've completely lost faith in Guarantano, Tano, however you say his name, this is not the right spot to give Brian Maurer his first start, right? No. I don't think it is. I mean, I, I, on one hand, you could say, all right, well, we got a full bye week to get him ready and we'll throw him out there. But I think when you're going up against a top five caliber defense like like what we have, you're kind of throwing your true freshman to the wolves. And maybe you just want to get him out there and get him used to the situation. You realize it's probably not going to be very pretty for him, but you want to get that experience. Maybe later in the season, this guy can be ready to win some football games for some of those toss-up games you might have later on in their schedule, maybe Kentucky, Vanderbilt, something like that. So maybe you want to go ahead and make that move. But if you're serious about even trying to win this game, I have a hard time thinking that Jeremy Pruitt and and that offensive staff, Jim Chaney and company, I have a hard time believing they think that Brian Maurer is going to give them the best chance to win this particular football game. Maybe he will down the road. Maybe they feel like he's got to they got to get him some experience. But if they're really serious about winning this game, I think it's got to be Guarantano in this game. I really believe that. Um, do you foresee uh, a quarterback rotation here where they're going to try to get Maurer in the game at times? I would be shocked because all that does is take away um, any confidence or anything that Garantana may build. I just – I don't know, man. Like, I wouldn't put it past them. I maybe have a package for Maurer uh, because what Maurer brings to the table is he's a – and Gorantano is mobile too, but Maurer is more of a true dual threat type guy. I, I don't know how good a passer he is because he didn't show much against Florida. He didn't look very good as a passer, but that was in a very limited sample size. He didn't prepare to be the starter in that game, so I don't want to judge him entirely off that. But they were trying to get him out of the pocket, move around. They had some nine quarterback runs for him. And he, he looked athletic out there. He looked quicker, faster. Uh, just a more a, a true dual threat type guy, more so than what Warantano brings to the table. So maybe they might have some sort of packages for him. I could foresee that, but I, I'm with you. I don't think there's going to be a rotation per se where like Warantano starts the first two or three series and then you bring Bauer. And they're like, they're not, this is not game one where you're trying to figure out coming into the season who your starter is going to be the rest of the way. It's not that situation. So if I had to predict, I'm with you. I think it's Warantano, Mauer. I could potentially foresee them using him in some, some, some sort of package. 
But again, if I think if they're really serious about trying to win this football game, I think you got to throw Garantano out there. I don't think you can just throw Mauer to the Wolves right now because it's just not the defense to try to get him some experience against. I just don't see that at all. Maybe in a couple of weeks, but I don't think right now is the time. So I think they're going to go back to Garantano. They brought him back in the game in Florida. I know they took him out and they brought him back in, which, again, I don't think made a ton of sense, especially when you consider the kind of head case that he is. Yeah, I think that's who they're going to go with in this game. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, and, and we mentioned this, Chris. When talking about the Tennessee passing game, you cannot ignore the offensive line and their inability to consistently protect whoever it is that's going to line up at quarterback for them this week. So, Kurt, how much success do you expect us to have creating that havoc that we all so very much desire? Um, this is the type offensive line that you have a better shot of doing it against. Um, I think that's for a fact because they just – there's, they are really lacking experience and skill and just in general. So I think if this if there's any offensive line that you can get after, it's probably this one. You're very nice about that. I would just say they're flat out terrible. I mean, honestly, there's very few redeeming qualities on this offensive line like across the board. You got two true freshmen, Darnell Wright, Wayne Morris from Grayson, both guys highly recruited. Uh, we recruited Darnell Wright a little bit late in the process. Morris we kind of just completely passed up on. And if Sam Pittman's passing up on you, if you're in-state, like, that should probably be a red flag. He hasn't looked very good. Darnell Wright, he maybe looked a little bit better than Morris. And it's kind of been musical chairs in that starting lineup. They've, they've had a lot of the same guys, but they've also moved them around. Morris and Wright have both played tackle. They've both played guard at times. They're just moving pieces around, trying to find something that works. But the problem for them is right now they've still yet to find anything that works. Uh, and right now they're 81st nationally in sack rate, which obviously is not very good. That is in the bottom half of the nation uh, in that statistical category. And they're getting no moving up front. What's we'll about that in the run game? But this is the kind of game where we can kind of get into a little bit more of a rhythm and kind of build some more confidence rushing the passer with all the options that we have, all the different packages that we have, the guys that can specialize in certain different roles, the depth that we can roll out there. This is the kind of game where I really expect the havoc rate to be a focal point. I think that's something that we're going to try to uh, bring to the table in this game, I think we're going to have a lot of success creating that havoc that we're all looking to get this year. And hope that can kind of be a springboard the rest of the way. So I think we'll have a lot of success there, there's no doubt. Uh, now, I, we did kind of mention this, Kurt. Despite their quarterback issues and that abysmal offensive line, I do think they actually have some weapons out wide on the perimeter. So kind of break down for us, Chris, who we need to watch for on the perimeter on Saturday night. Um, to me, their best receiver is Jawan Jennings, um, and Callaway's a, a big catch threat. But pure receiver, I'm gonna go Jawan Jennings. I think he's their most. I think he's their most explosive playmaker, and probably the one you got to watch out for the most. And the statistics support that. You're right. I mean, right now, Jennings is their leading receiver in terms of receptions and yards and touchdowns. Uh, 19 catches for 281 yards, four touchdowns on the year. You, you mentioned Marquez Callaway. This guy, I don't know what they were making this guy. Remember that Tet game, the opening game in, in, the, in Atlanta a couple of years ago where they had to come back late and win that game? And Marquez Callaway kind of had a Yeah, he came out and made some big catches for them. I mean, that's the thing. He'll make a big catch here and there, but he's just not a consistent receiver. I mean, he, you're exactly right. He, like, that was like his coming out party. That's like when – uh, and everyone expected after that game. I remember after that game people were talking about, oh, my God, man, they found their next guy. They found, they found their dude at wide receiver. And for the next year or so – Whenever you talk about uh, Tennessee's offense, you're always talking about, oh, man, okay, you got you to match up with Marquez Callaway. But since that game, he's – I don't think he's had a 100-yard receiving game since then. Actually, I'm looking at his numbers right now. He has not. In that Georgia Tech game, he had four catches for 115 yards. That was uh, September 4th, 2017. Four catches, 115 yards, two touchdowns. 
Everyone thought that was going to be his breaking out party. That man has not surpassed 98 receiving yards since then. That was, that's the closest he's gotten to 100 yards. He has not had a 100-yard receiving game since then. Has not had more than six catches in a game in his – I think like he's had one nine-catch game. But uh, other than that, he's had no more than six catches in a game the rest of his career. Now, yes, they've had some issues with quarterback position. But this guy has never kind of evolved into the receiver everyone thought he was going to be. We kind of broke on the scene there against Georgia Tech. We recruited him a little bit back in the day, but he thought he was going to go the basketball route, ends up wanting to play football, ends up at Tennessee. But you're right, he just has not been a consistent threat. He has that big play ability, but right now he only has 10 catches, 154 yards, does have two touchdowns on the year. It's a guy you have to at least be aware of because of that big play ability. Um, and he does have that kind of ability to go up and win those 50-50 balls with that basketball background, but he's just not a consistent threat. Josh Palmer is another guy that's that that does have some talent, but – he hasn't done much consistently. He's got 10 catches for 115 yards in the year. Dominic Wood Anderson, who was a, I think it was the top Juco tight end in the country coming out two years ago. But with the quarterback issues, he's kind of been a wasted weapon for them. Five catches for 90 yards right now. I will say there's talent there, receiver. I think offensively, when you look at that their offense, that is it safe to say, Curtis, that receiver is their most talented position group offensively? I would agree. Yeah, I, I think that's that's where you have to look in terms of like just pure talent on offense. That's where they're – I don't want to say they're advantage against us, but that's where they had the most talent as a group. But still, with the quarterback situation, the offensive line issues they've got, those guys had a tough time really kind of shining through all those deficiencies around them all around that Tennessee offense. So overall, Kurt, now we've kind of broke down this matchup. Who do you favor in this matchup? I think it's pretty clear. What are you looking at? Yeah, I would definitely go with our guys. Um, I especially now that Eric Stokes is expected to be back and playing. So I would definitely go with our, our positions against theirs. Yeah. When healthy, we have a borderline elite secondary, but we're not entirely healthy right now. I do have some concerns if Tyson Campbell and or Eric Stokes can't go. You're right. It sounds like Stokes is ready to go, but is he a hundred percent? I don't know. So that's the only thing that gives me like at least the slightest bit of pause, but I still think that we're, we should be the, the clear favorite in this matchup. And we should have a very good day rushing the passer as well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's move on here. Uh, we just talked about how much Tennessee is struggling to throw the football with any sort of consistency right now. They have been slightly better on the ground, but really not all that much better. They are ninth in rushing yards per game. The SEC at 154 yards a game, which is slightly below average, but they're 13th in the league, averaging only 4.26 yards per rush which is nearly at the very bottom of the league. To be honest, it continues to surprise me that this program consistently has issues on the football because like, I believe they have good backs. I think junior Ty Chandler is a good back with 282 yards on the year uh, on 52 carries. Freshman Eric Gray is a talented guy. He's at 165 yards rushing on 38 carries. Those are the two top backs in the rotation. When Tim George working in there occasionally, but Kurt, when you're looking at this running back group, how would you rate – that room for Tennessee? I mean, I think it's a solid room. I especially think Chandler's a big weapon, but, I mean, they don't really do a good job in general of using any of their skill players. They really don't. And you can see that Jim Chaney is still kind of in, like, in the feeling out process. Their offense reminds me a lot of our 2016 offense. Remember that? Where 
We wanted yeah, to. Yeah, especially since they don't have the. I mean, Jim Chaney looks. His offenses are a lot better when he has a good offensive line. You mean when he has Sam Pittman alongside him? Absolutely. Uh, sorry, Tennessee, it didn't work out for you trying to get Pittman. Not going to happen. But anyway, you're right. I, to me, I see a lot of similarities there where, like in 2016, we wanted to be. We want to kind of establish that identity as a downhill rushing football team, a physical downhill team. Even though we knew we didn't really have the personnel to do that up front on the offensive line. I think Tennessee's in a similar situation. Just like Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt is a defensive guy, the defensive back. He wants to have that same identity that we have. And he's trying to establish identity right now with Jim Chaney without having the pieces, the requisite pieces on the offensive line. And it just doesn't look like even though they have pretty good backs, just like we did. We had Sonny Michelle, we had Nick Chubb. It just never really clicked because you don't have the horses up front. You just don't have it right now. I think Ty Chandler is explosive. He's electric. He runs hard. Um, he's a guy, he does have big playability. Eric Gray is a little bit smaller, not much, a little bit smaller, about 10 pounds lighter, inch or two smaller. But he's really shifty in open space, and he also runs hard, even though he's a little bit smaller. He's a true freshman. He's a, he's a good back. Those two guys can play. But when you have the issues offensively, it's a problem. It really, really is. So, um, to me, that's the issue here. That's why they don't run the football better than they do. Even even though you have a, a offensive coordinator like Jim Chaney, who has a history of putting together good offenses that run the football, or at least have good rushing attacks, um, when you mentioned when he doesn't have the offensive line to work with, that is the problem. And on top of that, when you don't have the quarterback who's enough of a threat in the passing game to loosen anything up, it makes it even more difficult to find room there to run the football. Um, so, Kurt, to me, this is pretty clear cut. I'm going to spend too much time on this matchup because it's just obvious to me. I hate to even ask this question because I do think it's pretty obvious. But just humor me here. How do we match up with this Tennessee ground game? Um, I mean, I definitely think you have to give us our, the favor. I think our offensive line can handle them. Um, and I just, yeah, yeah. I mean, our defense front, I just don't, I don't really have much fear for it. Yeah. I mean, when you look at us statistically, we're right now fifth nationally in rush defense through four games. We have a great mix of experienced physical vets up front and also uber talented youngsters alongside them. And I think that combination is just too much for this Tennessee offensive line on both accounts. I think we're going to be able to control that ground game without bringing a safety down for run support. I think that's going to be, be a key in this game. If we can do that, we are going to absolutely suffocate this Tennessee offense because that will allow us to play with those two high looks all game long, which will take away any threat of the big play from their town of wide receivers like Callaway, uh, Jennings, any of those guys. We'll be able to take that away and, and drastically limit their opportunities to hit those big plays, which is really honestly what they're going to have to hit if they want to stay in this game and have a chance to win it. So I feel pretty good about this matchup. Um, I do want to ask you this, Kurt. How like so we've gone through the Tennessee offense, the rush game, their passing game. How do you expect Jim Chain to try to attack our defense? Um that's it's tough to say because good. there's not really many advantages they have. But what do you think he's gonna try to do? Um, my guess is spread us out. Yeah, um, I mean that makes sense. Uh that, that does make sense. I because I, I I'm with you. I think any potential matchup advantage they have would be their wide receivers on our backup cornerbacks if we don't have our stars in the game or on our less than 100% starting cornerbacks. It's like, I think Stokes is going to play, but he's been working on a, working in a brace during practice this week. So I'm not sure he's going to be 100%. So maybe they see that as like their only possible advantage. So that does make sense what you're saying there. But it's at the same time, it's tough to take advantage of that potential advantage, any potential advantage they have out wide when you can't consistently protect your quarterback for more than two seconds. So because of that, I do expect them to do a lot of what Notre Dame did with some success early in that game, and attack our linebackers in coverage. They haven't thrown a ton to the running backs, but Chandler in the past has shown that ability 
And Grace flashed it some this year. It's a little over 160, uh, maybe around 160 yards or something like that. And I think Dominic Wood Anderson, with the success that Cole Komet was able to have against us, I think they're going to try to find ways to get him the ball mashed up on our linebackers and maybe our, our stars and see if they can find something there. Uh, I do think they're going to take some shots down the field, especially if we have some backup cornerbacks in the game. But I do expect that to be on early standard downs. We only have one outside linebacker on the field, and we aren't really geared up to rush the passer. Because we don't convert – Like one thing I talked about uh, early in the week is we don't really convert run to pass rush on the interior defense line very well. And, and they can maybe find more time in the pocket in those situations. So that's kind of how I think that Cheney might try to go about attacking our defense. They're going to try to run the football. That's I mean, that's what Jim Cheney does. That's what Jenny Pruitt wants him to be. But I think they're really going to lean on trying to do a lot of what Notre Dame did early in that game when they had a little bit of success, trying to attack our linebackers in the intermediate range, run some crossing routes, trying to get those guys running sideline to sideline. But all right, let's flip this thing to the other side of the ball. And unfortunately, Curtis just texted me as I was finishing up that last explanation, and he had to go ahead and run to class. Again, we sincerely apologize for that, but just one of those random things that life brings you sometimes. But no worries, though. I've got you covered the rest of the way as we bring this thing home. And defensively, Tennessee is right about middle of the pack in the SEC. They're eighth in the league, giving up 340 yards a game. They've actually been really good against the pass, at least statistically. They are second in the SEC and 28th nationally against the pass, giving up only 190 yards a game through the air. They've only allowed five touchdown passes and do have six interceptions on the year. It's always a good number. You have more picks than you have given up touchdowns. But despite the fact that those numbers are really good statistically, I think they're a little misleading. I don't think the Tennessee secondary is really all that good. They have a couple of young corners, Bryce Thompson and Elante Taylor. Thompson was an all-SEC freshman player last year, and he had a little bit of trouble, actually more than a little bit of trouble off the field to start this season. He actually didn't on the field the first game or two. He's now back in good graces, back on the team, was apparently cleared of any wrongdoing, or at least there was uh, not enough evidence to proceed with anything. So he's back on the field. Uh, he's he certainly, right now, he's not playing the level he was last year. Obviously, you have to think that some of the off-the-field issues kind of took their toll on him, certainly uh, cut into his ability to get on the field and actually be out there with the football team, practicing as much. So, and he's getting as many reps. When you're not going to be the starter, you don't get near as many reps as the guys who are actually going to be out there on the field. So he's still trying to work himself back into a rhythm. Elante Taylor's a guy who was recruited originally as a receiver, ended up getting switched to cornerback last year, which some people kind of saw coming. Uh, we, we thought the time that Pruitt had kind of sold him a bill of goods, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, come to Tennessee, you can play receiver. We won't switch you to cornerback. Because a lot of teams are recruiting him as a cornerback. He wanted to play receiver. But, of course, as soon as he gets to Knoxville, what do they do? They switch him over to cornerback. And he had a pretty good freshman year. Still a work in progress performance that wasn't really a natural position. But he does have the talent to be a good cornerback down the road. He's still learning. He's got talent. But he is out of position at times. He gets lost out there at times. He was the guy, if you watch that BYU-Tennessee game, that I don't want to say it was just on him, but it kind of was late in the game. Tennessee was pretty much in control. All they did was get a late stop that BYU backed up way back in their ter- their own territory late in the game, uh, time running out. They take a, a just kind of a, a heave down the field. They hit the pass down the sideline. And it was Elante Taylor who just got absolutely lost. It's like he was playing two different coverages at different points in that in that play. Like he was playing man at one point. The, or he's like he was playing zone at one point, then flips around and tries to play man. It's just like, what are you, what are you doing? It's just hard to explain what he was doing there. Uh, and they complete that pass. BYU kicks the field goal. 
and then they win in overtime. So it's kind of an infamous play for Tennessee. But he is a talented player. Uh, their, their, their safeties are not particularly great. Nigel Warrior is a guy who is a big-time high school recruit. He's a Tennessee legacy. He ends up going to Tennessee. Obviously, that's, that hasn't really worked out for him. And he really has never quite lived up to the recruiting hype. He's not hes not a scrub by any stretch of the imagination, but he's nowhere near the player that a lot of people were, were, gonna, were projecting him to be coming out of high school. He struggles a little bit in coverage. We talked about how Rich LeCount has some issues tackling consistently in space. Nigel Warrior has displayed a lot of those same issues, maybe even more issues as a tackler that won't Richard LeCount has displayed. And Warrior's played a lot more football and has been around the block for a while, more so than LeCount. Uh, so they have some talent back there, but... All those pieces are not clicking right now. If you look at that Florida game, Florida had guys running open in the Tennessee secondary, but Kyle Trask didn't always hit them, or when he did, there were some key drops. The Florida passing game wasn't really hitting all cylinders in that game. They were kind of efficient, but they weren't really explosive outside of a couple plays to the tight end, Kyle Pitts. But I, I just when I watch this Tennessee defense, I don't see a, a, a secondary that's the second-best secondary in the SEC. I don't see a secondary that's top 28 nationally against the pass. I think that's really a big function of who they play. They played Georgia State. Obviously, they lost that first game. And Georgia State uh, really didn't hit too many big plays in uh, in the passing game. They did enough in the second half to convert some third downs. Then they play BYU, which is a team right now that is inept offensively. They, do, they did just enough to beat Tennessee and did just enough to beat uh, SC at home, but both those games, they don't win unless the other team helps them out. Southern Cal threw, I think, three picks in that game and one that kind of clinched the game for BYU. And obviously, I mentioned the mistakes that Tennessee made down down the stretch there, especially Alante Taylor just getting lost out there in coverage and BYU kind of put on, pulling a miracle there in Neyland Stadium at night. So I think they've kind of been helped out. They also played Chattanooga and then Florida. You know, they, were, they had a quarterback uh, with his first start in college, actually his first start since maybe his freshman year of high school, maybe since eighth grade. So they haven't really played a ton of teams that really threaten you vertically down the field. So I think that kind of factors into their stats right now. It's a very small sample size. But when I watch them play, when I zero in on their secondary, I just don't see a secondary that's the second best group in the SEC. So to me, the big question, especially considering the well-documented issues that we have had getting our vertical passing game going early on in this season, is how do we match up against this Tennessee pass defense? How much success can we expect to find through the air? Uh, and I think the answer is we can find plenty of success. I think the answer is we can find enough to get out of there with a win, with a comfortable win. And and that depends certainly on, on how willing we are to actually let it fly with Jake Fromm. And when I say let it fly, I don't mean throw the ball 40 to 50 times. I'm talking about just unleash him enough to take advantage of the matchup issues that our offense creates. Like I have, And you guys have heard me talk about this. I really have no issue with our offensive scheme. I have Sometimes I have an issue with the fact that we don't take advantage of the matchup advantages that our offense provides us. We just continue to kind of arrogantly pound it, pound it, pound it, very stubbornly, arrogantly, whatever you want to call it. And we get all these matchup advantages, these mismatches, but we just don't consistently take advantage of it, at least not to the degree that I would like us to take advantage of it. So if we're willing to do that, and we're willing to open it up just enough, take some shots down the field, especially on early downs, when Tennessee will undoubtedly try to outnumber us in the box, I think we'd have some success, at least enough success, to loosen some things up and uh, and really kind of win. Uh, go, I don't want to say necessarily going away, but get a comfortable enough win and get close to, to covering the 25-point spread. So I'm thinking 225, 250 yards, that should be enough for us to do what we want, what we want to do offensively. Uh, and okay, to finish up the matchups, I believe the Tennessee rush defense versus our rush offense 
I believe that's the biggest mismatch of all the matchups in this game. We are first in the SEC and 12th nationally in rushing offense with 253 yards a game, while Tennessee, on the other hand, is 11th in the SEC and 71st nationally against the run, giving up 154 yards a game on the ground. So to me, the question here is how much success can we expect to have on the ground against Tennessee? And and my answer to that, that was the question I was going to ask Curtis before he had the whole class schedule change. My answer to my own question there would be as much as we want to, right? I mean, is that not the right answer here in this situation? And I will say that this might be a scenario in this game on Saturday night where we might not find as much room early on as we want to, but with this Tennessee defensive front, their front seven, they just don't have a ton of depth. And they don't really have a ton of frontline talent. Inside linebacker, they're pretty, pretty good. I'll get to them in a second. But on that defensive line, coming into the season, the guy they were expecting to kind of be their alpha along that front was a guy named Emmett Gooden, who was a top recruit coming out of the Juco ranks a couple years ago. We recruited him for a little while. He ended up at Tennessee, but he got hurt early uh, in the preseason, and he is out for the year. And there's just not a ton of depth. There's not a ton of top-line talent there. You guys probably remember the name Aubrey Solomon. We recruited him pretty heavily out of high school a couple years ago. He ends up spurning us and going to Michigan, but really could not find the field at all. In Ann Arbor, he transfers out. We did uh, at least have some conversations, some communication with him once he decided to enter the transfer portal. He ends up at Tennessee, though, and he's playing now. He, he did get that waiver. It was a late waiver. I didn't think he was. I did honestly think he was gonna get it. I'm surprised that he did, but he got it. They seem to be giving those waivers out like candy, at least. Well, at least to certain guys. I, I can't figure out the rhyme or reason behind who they do and who they don't give transfer waivers to. It's very inconsistent. But he got one. He got one of the cherished waivers. And he's playing, but he's not playing very well in my estimation. Uh, Right now when I watch him play, I very clearly see why he was not getting a ton of playing time at Michigan. The guy is just, at this point in his career, he still has some time, but the the clock is ticking. He's not a young guy anymore necessarily. He hasn't played a ton, but he... He is not a guy right now that is ready to be a big-time player on the defensive front. He's underwhelming. He doesn't look particularly quick. He doesn't strike particularly well. His pad level's fine most of the time, but he's not disruptive. He's really just a guy that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. You hardly even notice him when he's out there unless you're actively looking for him, which I kind of had to do. And I have to say I was less than impressed with what I saw from him, and I kind of see why maybe we didn't go after him as hard as maybe some other programs like Tennessee did when he was uh, deciding to transfer from Michigan. So I, I really don't think that they're going to be able to do much to stop us running the football. Now, again, when, they, when they're when they kind of jacked up and they come out, it's a night game, the crowd's in so early on, I'm sure they're almost certainly going to come out and try to load the box and the numbers advantage in the box. Uh, but with our strength in the offensive line, the depth that we have, their lack of depth, their lack of talent on that front seven, I think – it's going to be a game that it's going to be a scenario like we've seen a lot over the past couple of years where it might be tough sledding early on in the game, but by the time we get to the second half, we can start gashing them and get to the point where essentially we are running the ball at will on them. I will say, I mentioned their inside linebackers a second ago. Those guys are pretty good. They're talented, I would say. They're good athletes. Henry To'o To'o, I think that's how you say it. He was a pretty big-time recruit. A four-star recruit, kind of a borderline five-star, depending on the service that you were looking at. He's an athletic, young, freshman inside linebacker. And he's a guy that's got good size position, about 6'2", 230. He also runs really well. He's got a very bright future ahead of him. He is now in the starting lineup. 
There were a couple other guys that were playing that position early on in the season, but he has not kind of taken that spot. He played the majority of the snaps at inside linebacker against Florida. His running mate there is a guy who's a veteran who's been around a while. His name is Daniel Batuli. He's a really good athlete. But he's not the most instinctive linebacker I've ever seen. He's not a guy that didn't really play that position a ton coming into Tennessee. He's gotten better than when he first started playing there. When he first started playing there, he was the guy that you could see was a really good athlete, but just really had no idea what he was doing there. Uh, from a technique perspective, he was really, really raw. He's gotten better in that regard. Uh, but that I mean, he's neither one of those guys are elite right now, but they are a good, solid duo at inside linebacker. Much better than what they have up front along that defensive line. Uh, but that defensive line is a joke. They get very little penetration. They get moved consistently. Uh, one thing I will say is they do like to blitz their lineback- their inside linebackers, To'o and Batuli, both those guys. It was To'o really, against Florida. They brought him a lot. He is athletic. He's a guy that can run sideline to sideline. Uh, he does sometimes get lost. Um, he, has, he does have difficulty, even though he's not a small guy. Right now, he's not the most polished inside linebacker, which makes sense. He's a true freshman. And he has trouble kind of getting through traffic. If you get up on him, he has trouble disengaging from blockers. But when he's running free, that guy can make some plays. So you, you certainly got to have a game plan to kind of deal with him. Uh, I think running right at those guys, honestly, is the way to do that, which is honestly, that's that's what we do well. So again, I think we're going to have a lot of success running the football. Inside linebackers are pretty good, but that demon's line is an absolute joke. Uh we're going to have, we should have a lot of success around the football. Now, in terms of what do I expect Tennessee to do to try to defend us? I think it's going to be how most teams go about it. I know this sounds like a broken record every time we talk about how our team's going to defend us. It's, it's almost the same thing every week because look, we're, I don't, I don't know if predictable is the right word, but maybe it is. We are rather predictable on what we want to do. Everyone knows what we want to do. So it's usually not a mystery in how teams are going to come out and try to defend us. We see a lot of the same looks week in and week out. So I don't know if this is going to be any different. We're almost certainly going to see a team that's going to sell out against the run on early downs. And then I, I imagine they're going to try to trust their young corners who I know Jeremy Pruitt's high on. I, I don't think they're elite corners yet, but they're, they're talented guys. I think early in the game, especially with some of the issues we've had trying to get the ball vertically down the field and really more so just a seemingly unwillingness to want to try to push the ball down the field. So I think he's going to come out trying to trust Taylor and Thompson on the outside, the man up there. I think we're going to see a mix of man-free and cover-three coverages, which will both of those coverages will allow them to gain numbers in the box. And we're going to have to go out and make them pay. And I think we're going to have the ability to, because I mean, look, guys, if they're playing man-free, and if you're not familiar with what that is, what that is essentially is you have you have the free safety, you have one safety deep, it's a single high safety coverage, and he's kind of just playing out there in, in a zone, a free zone there, and everyone else underneath him is playing man coverage across the board. If we will just allow Jake Fromm to throw the ball when they get into some man-free looks, we can absolutely eat them alive. And cover three also is, is typically a coverage that Jake Fromm destroys. Uh, there's a couple of vulnerabilities in the cover three. One of those is going to be the, the, the out routes, the perimeter there. You can flood routes. You can also run the deep outs. So I think that is something we're going to see a lot of. And from, like I said, usually has a lot of success against that coverage because he throws the out route. He throws to the outside, really with any route, whether it's a corner route, out route, whatever it might be. He throws those as well as anybody in America. So if we'll just let him throw the football, I think we have a chance to have a lot of success against the coverages that I'm going to predict that we're going to see from Jeremy Pruitt and company. So if that's how they're going to try to defend us, the next question becomes, okay, what are we going to do offensively to go about attacking this Tennessee defense? 
And this is another one with me. It's pretty simple. I think when you look at what they had defensively, now we've broken down each of the matchups on both sides of the ball. I think with our advantage in the trenches, you have to run the football and run it a lot. And I know that frustrates a lot of people because you're like, oh, didn't we just see that story against Notre Dame? And weren't we just, didn't we just spend two weeks harping on the fact that we, we've got to open up a little bit more? And, and didn't, hey, Tyler, didn't you talk about that? Yeah, I did. Uh, and I still want us to take some shots when, when the, the defense dictates that. But I, I still think when you look at the advantage we have with Arvin's Vine, I guess that defensive front, really their front seven in general, I, I think it's such a massive advantage that you have to take advantage of that. You have to run the football and run it a lot. you got to stick with it even if early on it's tough sledding, which it might be early in the game. But I think we're just going to be able to out-physical them and wear them down. And by the time we get in the second half, midway through the third quarter, I think we're going to be just breaking off big chunks of yards and really almost running at will on them. So I think you have to start there. But at the same time, I do agree with a lot of you that we're going to have to be willing to go to the air and attack vertically when they get in their seven and eight man boxes. When they try to outnumber us by one and sometimes two guys against Notre Dame, I mean, we see you know a plus one boxes a lot. Like we're out we're outnumbered by by one a lot of the time. We still typically run with a lot of success because Jake Fromm in those situations can get can flip the run play to the right to to the correct side where we're kind of running away from that free runner defensively. Well, when they have a plus two advantage in the box, which we did see quite a bit from Notre Dame, that becomes more difficult to do. So when we see situations like that. We've got to be willing to go to the air and attack vertically in those situations against those looks. And as we mentioned earlier, I really like our matchups in the slot and the tight end. I, I think their safeties are weak in coverage. So I think a guy like D-Rob, who's a guy that I mentioned coming to the Notre Dame game, I thought he had a chance to have a really big game there against their safeties who are really good in run coverage, but they're not particularly great in coverage. And I think we can see a similar situation against Tennessee. So if D-Rob is back healthy, he kind of gutted it out against Notre Dame. He was not 100%. You can see him at times in that game limping, but he just played his guts out and, and stuck it out and took one for the team there. So if he's back healthy, and you don't know. With a hamstring, you just don't know. So whether it's D-Rob, I think D-Rob can have, uh, if he's healthy, have a big game explosively down the field, maybe hit some big plays down the seams against some of these safeties. I think Curbs was talking about that a little bit earlier in the show. Um, if it's not him, I think potentially a guy like Dominic Blaylock could have a big game. And maybe even Kiaris Jackson. I know Blaylock might have gained some ground on him now that Kiaris has been out with the injury for a couple games and Blaylock's gotten some more experience. But Kiaris is still a really good player. There's a reason he was in the rotation before the, the, the finger injury against Notre Dame or the hand injury against Notre Dame. So I think he's a guy that could potentially make some plays. And also the tight ends. This could maybe be a game where Eli Wolf kind of has one of those just like magical moments, those magical homecomings where he comes in and just has a huge game. Because I think... If we use him, so we get the 12 personnel and we take advantage of what he can give us in the passing game, I think we can get some mismatches on the linebackers, uh, on their slot defenders, and also on those safeties. So I, I think we just have to be willing to do that at times. I like the matchups there, and I think we can take advantage. But all right, let's transition to our 3-2-1 countdown segment. And for those of you who are new to the show, first, thank you for checking us out. But this segment is pretty simple, and we're going to start at 3, and I'm going to work myself down to 1. Uh, I'm going to give you three reasons to be optimistic about our chances on Saturday, two things to be concerned about, and one key to the game. Obviously, we'll be back on Friday with our week six picks of the week. Charlie will be back on that show. We'll have a guest host as well. So I will hold my pick for this game until that show. So make sure to check back in on Friday for that. We'll have you covered there. I'll give you my take. Charlie will give you hers. And our guest host will also give you his take on this game. But I'm going to give you three reasons. I feel good about our chances on Saturday night. 
two things to maybe slightly be concerned about and a key to this game before we get out of here. So three reasons to feel good about our chances. I'm going to start with just simply our advantage in the trenches. And I mean on both sides of the ball. Football at its core is not an overly complicated game. Yes, when you get into coverages and schemes and things of that nature, it can get more complicated. But a lot of times it just comes down to man-on-man. And when you have an advantage in the trenches, you are going to have uh, a chance to win the football game more often than not. And even if you have the advantage in just one trench, you know, one side of the ball, that's great. It's a great starting point. But if you have what I think is a decided advantage on both lines of scrimmage, I think you're going to be in really good shape, especially when you're on the road. Being able to run the football like that and stop through on the road, that's big time. It's a big key to victory. So I think that is something to certainly feel really good about in this game. Uh, the second thing I'm going to mention is Jake Fromm. Uh, very simply, Jake Fromm. And it's not so much his ability to hit plays in the passing game, which he certainly obviously has that ability. And I think, I hope, I want to believe, um, I'm kind of in believe it when I see it mode. He has the ability to do that. I think we're going to hopefully try to do that a little bit more uh, when this coverage and the situation dictates. But when I say Jay Fromm, I mean, when you're in this situation, a road game at night in what can be a tough, hostile environment, I'm not sure entirely what to expect in this game because that fan base is beaten down right now. It's kind of been, a, not kind of, it has been a toxic environment. I'm very curious to get up there to Knoxville on Friday because one of the things, you know, Charlie mentioned this on the Mailback Show earlier in the week. She really loves going to Tennessee for these games. And I always like going to Knoxville too. It's not my favorite town in America, um, especially the, the campus area. I mean, Knoxville itself outside the campus is not that bad, but the campus area, like their little strip, it's a freaking joke. I don't even, I don't, God, it's terrible. I don't know why you'd want to go to school there. And you have to wear that ridiculous orange i don't I mean it's, it's awful anyway um it, it's it one thing i do like going one of the reasons i do like going there is like it's always got this cool football vibe like football's in the air it's a big deal to them there's always some energy in that town uh, on a football weekend so i always love that so i'm curious if it's going to feel different this year now maybe it won't because look this is not the first year they've had issues in this program it's been going on for a decade plus now so maybe it won't be all that different but uh, they're certainly not happy right now, so maybe they. I don't know if the stadium will be full. Um, I don't know how many Georgia fans will be there. I, th- you know, I, I think fifteen to twenty thousand would be a, a good solid estimate. There, it might be more than that. You know, we we've been traveling really well, especially since we've been winning. Uh, I don't know if the fact that it's a night game will take away some of our crowd from the people who might, you know, have wanted to make a day trip if it was a, a noon or three thirty game, but. Regardless, like this can be a tough environment. It can be. But when you have, so if you're in a situation like that, a road, night game, and potentially tough environment, it is so important to have a quarterback who's calm, cool, collected, experienced, who will not at all in any way remotely be phased by that. Jake Fromm has been there, he's done that. And I don't think that's going to phase him. We do have some young players um, on on the team offensively. Who this is going to be like their first, not their first road game, because we did play at Vanderbilt to open the season, but maybe the first big, loud road environment. Guys like George Pickens, Don Blaylock, some of those guys. So uh, I, I do think having Jake Fromm back there, kind of that calming influence, can certainly be a positive for our offense. And I feel really good about having Jake Fromm out there in what could be a loud environment. And then the third thing I feel good about, and there's a lot more, but I'm going to pick three here. I'm going to go with our pass rush. We talked earlier about just how bad, how abysmal this Tennessee offensive line is. I mean, they are horrible. I'm surprised we're even in the 80s in in uh, Sacre, right? I mean, when I watch them play, it seems like they're getting pressure on the quarterback every single play. And, and so it's, it's not even just sacks, but just the number of plays that defenses are able to affect the quarterback when they drop back to pass. It's it's an it's got to be an astronomical number. I, I couldn't find an exact number there, but 
it certainly has to be astronomical. I'm talking about just getting quarterback hurries, forcing early throws, uh, making the quarterback hear footsteps, feel footsteps, hear footsteps, all those kind of things. So I think our pass rush, we have enough guys that play different roles. We have enough packages where we can really get after the quarterback and really affect what they try to do offensively. Now, two things to be concerned about. You, in a way, you got kind of have to be creative here. We're talking about playing a one and three team that really, I think, calling them a team in crisis. I think that's fair at this point. I mean, who knows what it's going to be like at the end of the season. So it's tougher to pick two things to be concerned about in this game than it was for maybe Notre Dame. But there, there are a couple things that I would honestly look at here and say, you know, it's something to at least look at. Uh, and the first thing I would say is, is just the, the fear of the unknown, uh, particularly when you're talking about the quarterback position. Like, what are they going to do there? We talked about we think it's going to be Guarantano. Uh, I think I'd put my money on that right now. But I would also say I would not be surprised at all if Brian Moore has a Mauer has a a package or two. I don't see them rotating the guys in and out because honestly, I just think that Guarantano is too much of a head case for that. And I think they probably realize that they know who they're working with. But I can see a, a package of sorts, and just not knowing the fact that we had to prepare for both, which kind of takes away our reps of really preparing for one quarterback. Uh, that's just an extra thing you have to do uh, when you try to game plan defensively, and that just takes time. You only have 20 hours a week with our players. So that, and then also the fact with the unknown of just, like, this is a desperate team coming off of a bye week. When you see situations like this, I've seen it before, where a team that's 1-3 and three or, you know, is they, they enter the bye week in, in crisis or in a really tough situation, and they come out of that bye week, not changing everything. You don't have time to do that, but with a lot of, a lot of little wrinkles, twists here, uh, doing some things, doing things differently, coming out with some packages and some looks that they've never shown before. So just the idea that they could be doing that and show some things that we haven't seen before, that we haven't prepared for, that could potentially give them a little bit lift of a lift early in the game. But I, I will say I do like what Kirby and Dan Landing are able to do defensively with adjusting in-game. We saw that against Notre Dame. They had some success in the first half. We were able to make some adjustments at halftime and take that away. So I feel good about us you know, taking that away eventually. But you know, if they come out and get some momentum, you know, things could potentially get crazy. But um, not overly concerned there, but something to be thinking about. And then the second thing to be concerned about is I would just say the health of our cornerbacks. We mentioned it earlier, we think the strength of uh, the Tennessee offense is their receiving core. And I think if our cornerbacks were healthy, I feel really good about that matchup. But Tyson Campbell is right now questionable at best. Eric Stokes, it does seem like he's going to play, but he has been working with a brace on that knee that, with the hyperextension. So I don't know if he's going to be 100%. He should play, but is he going to be 100%? I don't know. And those receivers are good. So, you know, if they get a situation where you have a less than 100% Eric Stokes and you have a backup, whether it's DJ Daniel or Tyreek Stevenson, probably Daniel, or God forbid, Tyreek McGee, knock on wood. Although Tyreek did have a pick the last time we were up there when we shut them out. 41 nothing. So I've got to give him some credit there. I think he actually was playing corner in that game too. But uh, uh, without Tyson Campbell there, I don't feel entirely comfortable. And, and it could create a situation where they could maybe break one of those long plays they're going to rely on. So just one thing to watch. I know I'm kind of stretching there, but just a couple things to watch. And then uh, finally, my one key to this game, this one's simple. When you are playing a team that you just out-talent and you just simply are flat out 100% better than in almost every facet of the game, offensively, defensively, special teams. The only way you really lose those games is when you give them cheap things, when you give them cheap scores, when you uh, allow them to win the turnover battle by a, a drastic margin. They get some some defensive scores, you know, pick six or a fumble return for a touchdown. They set up easy scores or they get a special team score, something like that. So 
Just don't give them anything cheap. Don't give them demons and touchdowns. Do not give them short fields. Do not give them special team scores because that will allow them to build momentum. They'll start to believe. It'll give them a little bit of hope, which will then get the crowd into it. Before you know it, things could kind of you know, snowball out of control. We saw that at North Carolina where they kind of hung around. They hung around against Clemson last week. And before you know in the fourth quarter, they're going for two with just over a minute left to play with a chance to take the lead and potentially win that football game. So there's no reason at all this game should be close. There's no reason at all. We are vastly better than, again, in every aspect of this game. The personnel, it's not even close. There's a very significant talent advantage for us. There's a huge disparity there. But you can say the same thing about Clemson versus North Carolina. And I'm not, again, not trying to sound the alarm here, but I'm just saying like anything is possible in college football, but the only way it happens is if we give them cheap things, give them turnovers, we give them special team scores. So if we play a clean game and we don't let them muck it up and muddy the waters, we should really not have a problem. But uh, just something you got you to keep track of because it's happened before. Just don't do it, and, and we should be okay. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for me here today on the Glory UJ podcast. Thanks for sticking out with me. I know kind of weird again, Curtis, having to dip out about halfway through the show. But life happens sometimes, and you just got to go with the flow and adjust on the fly. So I did my best to kind of close it out here. We will be back later this week to close out the week on Friday with our Picks of the Week show, and that is where we will make our official picks for this game, whether we're going to win, lose, cover, all that stuff. So make sure to check back on Friday. We'll have you covered there. I'll give you my pick. Charlie will give you hers, and our guest host will also throw his out there. But thanks for sticking with me, guys. I really appreciate it. And if you enjoy the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you would help us out and spread the word to all your friends, family, coworkers, tell them to check out the show. And also, if you get a chance, it would be amazing if you haven't already to give us a quick rating and review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show on. That really kind of helps us out as we try to spread the word as we move this new platform. So we would greatly appreciate it. If you enjoy the show, help us out. We love you guys. And with that, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>